Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Over 500 teachers go on strike in the state of Massachusetts. Showdown coming this week between REI and the NLRB. Today on the show, we check in with the Minnesota Building Trades and the service employees, local 517M in the state of Michigan. Welcome to the Wednesday, February 1st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Joe Fowler. Joe is president of the Minnesota State Building Trades Council. And a couple things we're going to delve into is a lot of legislation in the mix. There is legislation calling for, ready for this, 100% renewables by 2040 for the utilities. There's a large bonding bill for roads, bridges, and the infrastructure. That's just state money. Then there's federal money coming in from the Infrastructure and Jobs Act and the Inflation Reduction Act. We'll talk about building strong communities. And apparently, they started a 501c3. That's a nonprofit which is becoming a host for their military recruitment program, Helmets to Hard Hats, which we've talked about many times on the show, getting people from the military into the trades. It's been going on successfully for many, many years. And the other big thing in Minnesota, rare earth critical mineral mining. This is huge. And apparently there's uh, some federal grants that are moving forward and, uh, a lot of that uh, processing has been happening in North Dakota, and it's picking up in Minnesota. And boy, do we need that. Oh, my gosh. The rare earth, those minerals go into making chips, semiconductor chips. And I don't have to explain to you right now what happened in the last couple of years with the pandemic and the shortage. And right now, China has pretty much a lock on that. There's deposits around the world. I know Africa has a lot, and China has secured those mines. But guess what? We have them right here in our own backyard. And guess what? We have the skilled workforce to do that mining. That's what we want to get done here. So Joe's going to be our first guest. Joey Combs. Joey is a female. She'll be joining us later in the show on behalf of the service employees. This is SEIU Local 517M. And uh, they're in Michigan. One of the big things that's being discussed in Michigan is repealing right to work. And uh, the good news is this. I mentioned the union density numbers that came out a couple of weeks ago. Now, we gained more union members last year, but density went down a little bit because more people entered the workforce. So the percentage went down. In the state of Michigan... Union membership went up from 13.3% to 14%, which pretty much bucked the national trend. 
So we'll touch on that and we'll touch on building political power. Joey says working people have to be active, organized and united in elections and politics. And they got to stay active so he can win and maintain real progress for public sector employees. It's even more important because when you're in the public sector, your boss is essentially elected. And through rules and regulations, they determine conditions of your work. And, you know, there's some zigzag going around, depending on what party that boss is from. And uh, Joey's going to talk about the possibility of uh, nixing right to work, which is the number one priority for all unions, not just in Michigan, but all those right to work states. And there's uh, 27 of them, most of them in the South. And I'll tell you, when Michigan went right to work, boy, I'll tell you, a lot of eyebrows went up and say, wait a minute. This is the home of the auto workers, blue collar state. But this is what happens when people don't vote. And the legislature goes to the other side. And uh, I recall when that happened, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. They didn't plan on going right to work. But it was one of those things, you know what? Let's do it while nobody's actually looking at us or listening to us. And that's what happened. So uh, Joey Combs will be our uh, second guest on the show. Now, a look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. Been around since 1928, $17 billion in assets, serving the needs of Taft-Hartley funds, corporations, public funds, endowments, foundations, as well as religious organizations. You can find more at BoydWaterson.com. Over 550 public school teachers are on strike today in Woburn, Massachusetts, canceling classes for the third day now. Teachers are uh, striking to demand increased pay for paraprofessionals, smaller class sizes, physical education classes for elementary school students, among other things. Phys ed, you got to be kidding me. They took that out? The teachers unsuccessfully negotiated 25 times with the city, 25 times before deciding to strike. Now, the talks that occurred yesterday... They went on for a little bit and then stalled after eight hours. They started in the morning. They took a break and they said, okay, we're not going anywhere. Now, currently, public teachers are forbidden to strike under Massachusetts law, leading the city to seek an injunction against the strike. A ruling against the teachers could either end the strike or lead to large fines. However, successful teacher strikes in actions in Massachusetts, this would be in Brookline and Malden, have recently preceded the Woburn teacher strike. So we'll keep our eye on this one. Interesting scenario panning out this week in Northeastern Ohio. The National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, has set a hearing for this Friday, February 3rd, after REI Incorporated refused to reach a stipulated agreement with the retail, wholesale, and department store union about a union election at a store in Beechwood, Ohio. The company's refusal of the agreement means the union election cannot go forward. In a statement, the union condemned the action, saying the hearing process can be used to distract and delay, thus stifling workers' voices. Now, the uh, retail 
and warehouse union is seeking to represent all non-supervisory employees at the store, which it already does at their location in Soho, New York. The REI store in Berkeley, California, is represented by the United Food and Commercial Workers. REI is attempting to slow the process down at the Beachwood location in an effort to kill the union drive. It's pretty obvious. Stuart Applebaum is head of the warehouse union. He said, the company's request to bar clearly eligible workers from voting for the union is union busting in its face. And it's nothing but a feeble attempt to delay the union election, period. It cannot be clear that REI's motion to remove previously eligible job classifications from this election only seeks to silence workers' voices. And these are not just any workers' voices. These are the voices of workers with the same job classifications who are already being heard at bargaining tables on both coasts. You cannot be in support of union elections and freedom of speech and then bar more than half of your workers from voting. Let the workers at REI in Ohio have the same opportunity you gave workers on the coast. Let workers vote and stop these baseless delay tactics. Again, that's Stu Applebaum, head of the retail and warehouse union. Now, REI can still reach a stipulated agreement with the union before this Friday begins. But you know what? I'm not holding my breath on that one. This is a very profitable store. REI stands for Recreational Equipment Incorporated, and they focus on outdoor equipment, camping, things like that. And uh, we're seeing more and more of this, no doubt about it. Let's go to Portland, Oregon, where the mayor has issued an emergency declaration as hundreds of employees with the city prepare to go on strike tomorrow. I'm talking about um, Labor's International Local 483, Layuna 483. They uh, delivered a notice of intent to strike on the strike the city on Monday. The notice applies to more than 600 city employees under the Portland City Labor's contract. Notices of an intent to strike requires 10 days before a strike can begin so the laborers could halt work beginning tomorrow if no agreement is reached before then. The union represents workers in Portland's wastewater treatment, pollution testing, street maintenance, and park ranger services. In a statement, the union said, they are the workers who showed up in person throughout the pandemic to keep our city running. They delayed negotiating a new contract for a year to accommodate the city of Portland in its time of need. Well, in response, city decision makers have treated their safety and financial security as a low priority. Now, get this. Negotiations between the union reps and the city have gone on for more than 300 days without reaching an agreement. The city of Portland said in a statement that it's preparing for the possibility of a strike. I think uh, the way things are going, yeah, they better do that. And we got some good news here out of uh, Fordham University. The faculty, which is uh, affiliated with SEIU Local 200, and they teach the majority of the courses offered at the college, which is in the Bronx, have successfully reached a tentative agreement with school administrators 
after 10 months of negotiations. The school accepted the union's most recent proposal in full, and the members will now vote on the agreement, and the details should be coming out in a couple of days. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to check in with Joe Fowler, head of the Minnesota Building Trades. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are Steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now. Back to Ed Flash Ferrans with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota right now. And joining us on line number one is Joe Fowler. Joe is president of the Minnesota State Building Trades Council, website mntrades.org also serves as business manager of Labor's Local 563, which uh, is the largest Lyuna local in the country with 11,000 members. Joe Fowler, welcome to uh, America's... Well, you got your hands full, brother. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. And uh, I have to reference the show that we did. You got to check it out. We did this uh, two days ago. Go to AWF Podcast and check what's happening in the state of Massachusetts, specifically Boston, 
where uh, Lyuna is organizing a lot of people out of Feeney Brothers Construction. And this is a classic example of a mom-and-pop shop that uh, sold out to a private equity firm. And eh, guess what? Let's just turn all these employees into independent contractors. Not all of them, but a whole lot of them. It's a heck of a story. But, uh, Joe, you're not, you're not surprised by that kind of thing in construction, are you? No, we have we have a misclassification of employees as independent contractors all over in Minnesota. It runs rampant in the construction industry, really uh, uh, heavy in the uh, uh, concrete and drywall side of the industry as well. But we we have uh, legislation currently being worked through uh, during our our session that we have right now. Uh, to help stomp down that misclassifications of workers um, as independent contractors, so hopefully that will help us, uh, you know, kind of lessen the lessen the problems that we have here, and you know maybe that's something other states should look at as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good that you're being proactive on that. I know uh, this is a national issue. I mean, all states deal with it. Some are doing better jobs than others, and uh, I'm frankly, I was pretty surprised because Massachusetts is pretty union friendly and I know the the state's looking into a lot of things that are going there but uh let's talk about your your current legislation that's going on over there so you you're saying that there is some pretty good stuff ha- that that will deal with this issue that that's rampant in the construction industry yeah it, it is uh so we we've with the building trades been pushing back on wage theft and misclassification of workers for several years now and there's currently like i said we're in session we have legislation to help with both of those um on the on the wage theft side uh the attorney general's office is seeking more funding uh for additional manpower resources to enforce uh wage theft uh, the Department of Labor, uh, Nicole Blissenbach, the commissioner, who was just confirmed yesterday, actually, in a Senate hearing, uh, congratulations to her on that, uh, is also seeking some additional funding for additional resources and manpower uh, to try to help stomp out the wage theft uh, and, and bring that to light and enforce the laws that we have. I think Minnesota's got the strongest uh, anti-wage theft laws in the, in the country right now. Um, but you know, uh, laws are only good if they can be enforced and, and hopefully they're going to get the funding for that. They should, uh, we have a, a good amount of surplus here in Minnesota, so that can make a big difference in the misclassification. We've had several different pieces of litigation or, uh, uh, cases, uh, that have been pushed forward for misclassification of workers in the construction industry. Um, you know, where they, they, they say you're an independent employee, uh, they don't take out workman's comp. So that person, you know, if they get injured on the job, uh, they have nowhere to turn to. Uh, they don't take out the Social Security. They don't take out any of the, the payroll taxes that an employer would have to have and put that onus on the individual. Um, and that's not really, and they're an employee. That's really not yeah. how it should be. Um, yeah. they're, they're shirking their responsibilities, and we're doing our best to hold them accountable here in Minnesota. Yeah, it, it's good. that It's a wake-up call for, for many governments because they're losing tax revenue. They really are. They're losing, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases in in some municipalities. Uh, I'm just wondering, are are they pretty vigilant, especially when when they go to court? The fine has to be excessive. Is is that pretty much the case with the law in the state of Minnesota? 
there's been some real good uh, awards that have come out of uh, some of the wage theft uh, cases that the attorney general's office has has brought uh, all the way through the court system. Um, he's starting to concentrate in the construction industry um, as we bring information to him, we being the different building trades affiliates and or just other organizations. We have uh, some around here that are worker-centered organizations called Satool, which is Centers for Center for Workers United and Struggle. Uh, we have the uh, Building with Dignity and Respect Council, and they go out and talk to these folks that are both unionized and non-unionized, uh, you know, and meeting them where they're at and being part of the same community. Because I'll just the other side to this, which uh, is just under the surface, is that a lot of these individuals uh, are being taken advantage because of their immigrant status. Uh, and they just don't feel strong enough to speak out about it to their employer, even though they're being listed as an independent contractor. Um, so that that's really part of the issue is just actually taking advantage of a disadvantaged community. Um, yes. And in doing that, it's just something we, we won't be tolerating here. Good to hear. Good to hear. All right, let's talk about the the work over there. And I was reading earlier, 100% renewables by 2040 for the utilities. Sounds a, a bit aggressive for that. Is is that what's the the uh, the MO in the the legislature there? They're pushing toward that goal then? Yes, they are. Um what I'll say is I'm not I'm not going to say the utilities are are jumping for joy and clapping at it. But what I will say is that this is not the the first version of the bill uh for 100% renewables by 2040. Uh this there was consultation uh and conversation with the different utilities to try to make sure they got in some of the things that they needed to make sure that they can continue to produce power as utility owned assets well into the future past that. As an example, nuclear uh, hydrogen, renewable, uh, uh, natural gas, um, and I say that because it's a byproduct of, of, of pumping oil, um, and things like that that are in there, peaker plants, which are gas gas plants. Some of those things are in there that will allow them to meet these goals. Uh, I will also say in Minnesota, I think our utilities are pretty far ahead of some of the others in their, their resource planning uh, to get to the, the carbon neutral or carbon free. Uh, I think it would have been by 2050 ish. Uh, now it'll be 2040. So, uh, and it will have prevailing wage attached to it, not just federal Davis Bacon prevailing wage, but state prevailing wage here in Minnesota will be attached to that, uh, for those projects. So it's a, it's a big win for organized labor. Uh, and it's, uh, because it got modified to something that was palatable. I think it's a, a fairly good win for the utilities as well. Boy, that's what I like about what's happening in Minnesota. You've got uh, you got the state of Minnesota protecting workers with prevailing wage union wages, and then you got the federal government. Obviously, that's written in into the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. Now, there's got to be a ton of money because I know you got a lot of bridges there, and you know with the climate. I know your winners are pretty aggressive over there. <laughs> so, so you got you got a lot of crumbling roads in the infrastructure in general. So, you got to be pretty happy about that, Joe. Yeah, it is. Uh, as we speak, uh, it's nine degrees outside right now, so it's uh, <laughs> balmy, just downright balmy. I can see the palm trees, <laughs> but uh, we do. Uh, there's some big, big money that's going to be put into infrastructure, um, just in the state, uh, in the city of Minnesota, city of St. Paul. We're talking six hundred million dollars in lead line replacement. 
um, they take that seriously in, in, in wastewater and, and water uh, treatment facilities. The governor just came out with a $3.3 billion bonding budget. Um, that would that's just enormous compared to what we've done in the past. You know, there used to be an unwritten rule: a billion dollars was the bonding, you know, ceiling. Well, that's not the case anymore. We've had 1.4 and close to 1.9, and now we're going to be upwards of hopefully three billion dollars. And one of the key things that the governor had said when he introduced that budget was is strategic investments in aging infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, just everything you talked about. Um, that's where some of this money is going to go. And when that happens, our members from all the trades are working. Uh, and that makes the difference. Our contractors can compete on a pretty level playing field when prevailing wage is attached to a project. It, we're union, right? So nobody does it better, faster, on time, and on budget. That's, that's what we do here in Minnesota. Well, it sounds it like you got a lot of work planned out, and congratulations on the uh, the legislature there. It sounds like you got a very good working relationship with them. So, with that being said, Joe, how we uh, how we positioned as far as the apprenticeship programs to make sure we get enough people to uh, to handle those jobs? How are we looking right now? Well, we're doing pretty well. I mean, I think uh, maybe across the country, even uh, there's a labor shortage, and you know, it's a, it's unique in trying to bring people into the trades and telling them, hey, uh, this is a job where you have to show up on time every day. That's not an option to be late. Yes, you're going to be tired physically and mentally when you're done every day, so you got to be able to work hard. Um, but you know, the attraction is the wages and the benefits, and hopefully the long term long term health of of the individual. Um, we have our BSC program. I believe we brought that up uh, during one of the previous interviews that stands for Building Strong Communities. Uh, but I believe since then, since we talked the last time, we actually have received our 501c3 nonprofit status for mm-hmm. that so we can start uh, collecting grant monies or uh, any sponsorships for that. And we are in our third cohort right now. Uh, they, are at, they actually will start that third cohort. It's full. We got 80 people uh, is the cohort that we can do. Uh, it's full, and we will graduate those folks uh, somewhere at the end of May, middle of May, end of May, after about a 12-week program. Uh, and to this day, we still have a 100, 100% job placement opportunity for those folks coming out. Um, you know, it's very, it's, it's pretty specific and targeted towards women, BIPOC community members and veterans. Uh, mm-hmm. We're stretching that out to veterans and their families as well now um, and looking for some additional funding for a program called Helmets to Hard Hats here, which is a good feeder into uh, the union trades as well uh, for veterans that are returning home. But we're doing pretty well. Uh, a lot of our uh, apprentices here um, have been able to, or I should say our apprenticeships, have been able to do additions or upgrades to their facilities. I know the laborers just finished uh, nearly doubling the size of theirs uh, in May to, I believe it was uh, just shy of 80,000 square foot for the training facility that they have here in Minnesota. Um, I know the plumbers union uh, in Minneapolis uh, just finished a very large training center in union hall. It's absolutely beautiful. So I think they're, they're, the unions here are investing into their membership on expanding, anticipating the work that's coming. Um, so it's exci- it's an exciting time here. I think it is across the country, but in Minnesota, it certainly is for us. Yeah, we've done shows with uh, Helmets to Hard Hats. Great organization. And uh, 
there's a lot of people, especially that come from, you know, military service, scratching their heads, wondering, gee, what am I going to get into? And uh, I know that program has, in fact, they got some new leadership. We had an individual on the show not too long ago who comes from Northeastern Ohio, and he's being really aggressive to uh, market that program. Because you got, you know, you know, you got a disciplined workforce. If you're in the military, you, you show up on time. There's no doubt about that. So that's definitely a good partnership that you have there. Joe Fowler joining us on our live line. He is the president of the Minnesota State Building Trades Council. Website is mntrades.org. Also serves as business manager of Lyuna Local 563. 11,000 members in that local alone later in the show we're going to check in with joey combs on behalf of the service employees we'll talk about repealing right to work in michigan back in a few minutes this is america's workforce it takes Lyuna to power north america with affordable energy the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. 
Let's go back to Minneapolis-St. Paul area, rejoin Joe Fowler, who is president of the Minnesota State Building Trades Council. So I was reading earlier about mineral mining, and I'll tell you, it's good to know that we have the minerals in the United States. I know they're scattered around the world. I know China has done a pretty good job of locking in parts of Africa, and we're talking about minerals that are needed in uh, electronic equipment to keep us humming. So I know there's a lot of mining going on over there, rare earth mining, they call it. Where uh, where do we stand with all that, Joe? And and obviously this is big for the trades over there, right? It is, and we do have a lot of mining, mostly in the taconite and iron ore side. I wish we had a lot more in the rare earth mineral side of it, but um, there's – there's been some movement and some good movement on a couple projects and, uh, you know, some some uh, pretty disappointing news here very recently on one of the others. Um, there are three three different mines right now that are proposed for uh, rare earth mineral mining in, in Minnesota, and they're all unique in their own aspects in their mine plan, one of them being twin metals, one of them being polymet, and one of them being talon is the, the new kid on the block, we'll call it. Um the, the Biden administration just just released um, uh, their statement where uh, the uh, they, the Bureau of Land Management, I believe, and Department of Interior has removed uh, like about a quarter million acres uh, up in the uh, Boundary Waters canoe area uh, where Twin Metals had put in part of their uh, mine plan covering that area and where they had paid for land leases for going on, I think, 15, 20 plus years. Uh, and those have been officially removed and a moratorium on mining for the next 20 years in those areas. So um, that's a real disappointing uh, um, situation for Twin Metals, who will be fighting it. Um, but shy of winning, that, that really uh, makes it quite difficult for them to ever actually put their mind together. Um, you know, and the, and, the, and the fact of the matter is, you said it, the, the, the minerals are scattered uh, in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world. You can't just mine anywhere. you got to mine where the minerals are. Um, and just the geology of where those things are uh, can be a very uh, sensitive topic. Um, Polymet has been, for the better part of 15, going on maybe even 20 years, uh, fighting to get their mine up and going. Uh, and they're down to hopefully their last few uh, pieces of litigation they got to deal with to finish out their permitting. And that's that should be a very good project, and I'm hopeful that that gets going. We have a project labor agreement with them to do it all union. Um, Talon Metals, new kid on the block here in the last few years as far as uh, when they really started ramping up uh, their, their concept of the mine that they have, which is very unique. Uh, I think they've learned, uh, about how to put their mine plan together and how to go about, uh, addressing the public concerns and the indigenous concerns of the communities around that mine, uh, and, and the proposed mine. And, and I'm hopeful that, uh, they get some consensus, um, from the different organizations who have either opposition or concerns about that mine, uh, to be able to get moving on it. Because as you said, uh, we need it to drive the vehicles. We need it for the renewable energy. Every, All the renewable energy that this country is moving towards takes these critical rare earth minerals, whether it be cobalt, whether it be nickel, whether it be uh, uh, palladium, I mean, uh, lithium, you name it. Um, Talon's unique in that they have already tried to start addressing some of what we'll call the environmental concerns that have been brought up, um, like 
what they have is a tail, uh, tailings, uh, and they call it Mount Talon, I'll air quote it as, uh, a giant mound of, uh, of, of tailings uh, that could have uh, what they call uh, sulfide leaching. Um, what they did is they decided to move the processing of the tailings, which is, you know, the crushed rock that they mine out, uh, over to North Dakota uh, into a less environmentally sensitive area, a much drier area into the plains. Um, and they did that intentionally to try to alleviate that concern about acid mine drainage. So I applaud them for that in that they're trying to address the concerns. As building trades president for Minnesota, I'm pretty bummed that those jobs would be leaving here because our organization truly believes that uh, the, the sulfide mining can be done safely. Uh, here in Minnesota, uh, also abiding by the, the very strict uh, environmental protection laws that we have here. But again, they did that to alleviate a concern and one of the main concerns um, before they ever put their mine plan together. So they're, 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 they're listening, they're learning, and they're adapting. And I hope that means that uh, they will get uh, that mine approved as well. Um, because we have in Minnesota, I believe the largest uh, nickel deposit uh, in the country and one of the top ones in the world. Again, you can't, you have to mine where the product is, where the minerals are. So uh, we got to figure out how to do it safely. We got to prove we can do it safely. And then I think Minnesota has the ability to really ramp up production and manufacturing of battery components, uh, of, of solar panels, uh, of making uh, the turbines for the wind, the, the wind farms and the wind generators. Um, all of that takes thousands of pounds of copper, uh, and, and nickel is one of the main products uh, for a battery cathode. Uh, so it's hard to uh, store energy or have electric vehicles if you don't have the materials to put in it. So yeah. um, I'm very hopeful, but we'll see what happens over the next year or so. Joe, you mentioned those jobs going to North Dakota. I'm just wondering if uh, if those strict environmental laws that you talked about in the state of Minnesota might be relaxed a little bit. I understand there's there's need to protect the environment. I get that part. But I'm wondering if, if it's so strict that we're losing some jobs, maybe that might be a wake-up call for some of the lawmakers. What, what do you think? Boy, I sure wish it would be, and I sure hope it is. But, you know, the, the, the federal government has, I think, uh, very, very cautiously promoted renewable energy, uh, while at the same time just withdrawing all those tens of thousands of acres, uh, thereby essentially killing one of the projects or really making, putting a heck of an obstacle in front of it to get done. Um, in the state of Minnesota, there are op uh, people in opposition to it, uh, uh, to any type of, of mine. Uh, and hopefully that's a, a just an education component. Um, but a lot of them just, you'll never change their mind, even with good information. Um, yeah. I truly believe it can be done safely here with economic benefit to all the surrounding communities, let alone the jobs it will produce. Every one of those mines or those companies that are that are proposing mines here we have a project labor agreement with and with talon metals we actually have a memorandum of agreement to do a site agreement after the construction so not just build it but maintain it afterwards that would all be done union that's never yeah. been done before here in minnesota with a site agreement and they were willing to do it uh they've been very accommodating and we've been trying to help them navigate that uh the the kind of the political headwinds here but it's almost 
it's almost hard to comprehend how people are saying you have to get to renewable energy, but no, you can't do it here. Yeah, you know, uh, we won't allow child labor here. Yet you go over to the Congo, and that's happening where they're getting the product from. You right. know, uh, we don't want the minerals here, but we'll have to get it from China, uh, who is right right now I would consider an adversary. I'm not a big political guru, but in my mind, that's what that's what I view there as not a friendly country that we're buying critical minerals from that we need for our own national defense and security of this country. And that just doesn't make sense to me to outsource it uh, when we have the ability to do it here and we can do it safely. Well, Joe, you got your finger on the pulse over there. I'm so glad you came to the uh, the, the podcast today because, man, I'd say, frankly, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about minerals, man. I'll tell you, you really, really have done your homework on this situation. So best of luck to you. It sounds like you got a good relationship, a very good relationship with your legislature. You just got to keep moving in the right direction. It, it's never easy. We all know that. Never easy. So keep doing what you're doing. Any parting words here before we uh, let you go? Organized labor is always a fight. There you go, brother. Joe Fowler, president of the Minnesota State Building Trades, also business manager of Lyuna Local 563 in the state of Minnesota. 11,000 members, largest Lyuna local in the country. You stay safe, stay in touch. Okay, brother? Thank you. Take care. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the state of Michigan. Joey Combs is with the service employees. We're going to talk about repealing right to work and more. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. 
Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Before we uh, join our next guest, got to give a plug here for the Union Made in America Super Bowl, which is going to be a week from this Sunday. And this is courtesy of the AFL-CIO. If you go right on their homepage, aflcio.org you can read about beer meat chips and salsa which are all made by our union brothers and sisters we're talking the bakery confectionery tobacco workers and grain millers uaw the machinists the food and commercial workers along with the uh, teamsters they even have uh, what you set the table with Corningware, Cutco knives. I know Cutco's made by the steelworkers. Those knives are really, really good. You got to be careful with those. Uh, Ballpark Franks, a lot of hot dogs will be sold on that day. Oscar Myers, another one, Omaha Steaks. But do check it out. It's right on the homepage of the AFL CIO. And I'll direct you to the page that lists every, every union made product, and that's aflcio.org forward slash union made okay check that out let's go to the state of michigan right now and joining us on line number two is joey combs joey is president of service employees international that would be local 517 m which is uh, seven thousand public sector workers all across the state of michigan joey combs welcome to america's workforce thanks for joining us today thank you for having me and congratulations are in order here. I this this Friday, twenty years with the local. Is that right? Yes. Well, congratulations there. Talk to me about your local. So it's all public sector workers. Can you be more specific? Yes. So um, a portion about half of our local we represent state employees, and when you split the other two public sectors you represent is local government and school employees. Okay. And how long have you served as president? I have been president since 2018. So, Joey, uh, that's a lot of members to take care of. And I'm sure you're, uh, you're having a good time doing that. There's always challenges. We know that in organized labor. And I know uh, one of the things that uh, you want to get into here is repealing right to work. Now, in the public sector, you had to deal with the Janus decision. Ironically, you were president. In 2018, I think that's when the decision came out from the U.S. Supreme Court, and that affected not just Michigan, but public sector workers across the entire country. So that was a battle in itself. But uh, I always say on the show, and you know this, elections matter. It's important to get the right people in the office. And <laughs> I got to salute what you did in uh, in November of last year. You got the right people in office. Now, what's, uh, what's the game plan here? You're going to repeal right to work? Talk to me about that. Yes, um, repealing right to work is a big priority for SEIU in Michigan and for working people as a whole. 
And like you said, even though it won't have a direct impact on us public sector workers, we do know it's a necessary step for us to put the power back in the hands of the workers. Because we all want to turn Michigan into a place where we can not just survive like we've been doing, but starting to thrive. So, Joey, I know uh, Right to Work was passed I'm pretty much in the dark of night, and I, I want to say it was about a decade ago, and it, it certainly surprised a lot of people. And you probably heard the saying, Right to Work for Less. I'm just wondering yeah. if, if you could speak to that, because, uh, you know, the businesses are saying, oh, it's it's great for business. And they, we don't have to deal with unions as much. I mean, unions are still there, let's be honest. But uh, how has it affected, in your opinion, the the workforce in the state of Michigan? Well, you are right. It was approximately a decade ago in December. And how right to work has impacted us in Michigan, it's how it impacts everyone who has to deal with right to work or so-called right to work, as you said. We all know that right to work has always been about one thing, corporations stripping our workers of their power so they can enrich themselves at our expense. We all know that these anti-worker laws are rooted in racism, greed, and intended to weaken our unions. So what did you do here in the, the last election cycle to uh, make sure that you got the right people in office? I, I know politically, SEIU on the national level is very, very proactive when it comes to that. Can you speak to what you did? And uh, I, I know a lot of boots on the ground. You got a lot of members. I'm sure they worked pretty hard. Can you uh, can you tell us about that? Yes. Well, this last election cycle, we were able to actually have a fair election because redistricting was done by um, a redistricting commission and not the politicians. So this is the first time that we've had redistricting done by the people. So we had a fair election this time. And you're right, our workers did work hard knocking doors, um, phone banking, and just turning our membership out and running a lot of get out the vote uh, messages. Oh, that's great that that it happened here. So, is where where are we with this in in the legislature right now? Has it been introduced? Uh, what kind of support are we looking at right now? I, I, the governor, from what I understand, didn't in her state of the union address didn't mention it, which is a bit shocking to me. I know she's pretty pro union, but pick it up from there. What what's uh, what's the scenario here going forward? Well, repealing right to work. Um, our House Dems and um, the the Democrats have introduced their top six priorities for the state, and right to work is in the top six priorities. Well, it's good that it's a priority. What are we going to do to get it over the finish line here? I, I know you, your union, SEIU Local 517, will be vigilant. Uh, is there going to be a coordinated attack with other unions to make sure we get this done? Well, in speaking for um, SEIU and the members we represent and our members who are politically involved, we all know when we elect people, we not only have to elect them, but then we have to hold them accountable. So there definitely will be accountability work on this side to make sure the things that they ran on are the things that they actually show up and do for us as the working people. Well, Joey, I I know when uh, when they... um put right-to-work proposals in various states, there's a collection of unions that usually band together. I know they try to do that in uh, Montana as well as New Hampshire. I'm just wondering, 
Are you about to form any partnerships with various unions to uh, to get this coordinated campaign with the legislature? Because I'm sure there's a few in that legislature that are saying, no, 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 we like right to work. And you, you know, you know, that's the case. But I'm wondering, there's strength in numbers. You know that. Or is that part of the game plan here? Uh, I can only speak for what SEIU is doing right now. I'm not sure of what a coalition is doing at this moment. That does not mean that there is something happening. Mm-hmm. What about an education campaign? Is SEIU putting an education campaign showing that this was not the way to proceed with right to work in the state of Michigan when we did it when they did it ten years ago? What about that part? Um, as I said before, it is repealing right to work is one of our big priorities, um, and the legislature has said that it's one of their top six priorities. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to add to the uh, conversation right now? Yes. In the state of Michigan, there are other things going on. So for our public sector members that work for the state of Michigan, there have been rules or regulation changes through the Michigan Civil Service Commission that have negatively impacted our ability to build our strong union. In the summer of 2020, the Civil Service Commission, which is the governing body over our state employees, they passed a rule that now requires every every union member, every public sector member for state employment, they have to go in and reauthorize the dues annually. So it's supposed to be completed before each fiscal year begins. Um, and just like right to work, you know, this change was about rigging the rules against workers. Um, so you have to log in before the fiscal year ends to your online portal and say you want to stay in your union. And what happens if you don't do that? Um, depending on how the year falls, at some point in October, they will drop you from your union dues automatically if you do not go in and say you will stay in the union. Wow. Doesn't it's matter amazing. if you've been here two years or 40 years, they will drop yeah. you. <laughs> That's amazing. It, it, some people go to any length to screw over a union member, and that's just one of the many examples out there. Well, Joey, thanks for coming to the table today to explain what's going on. Good luck to you and your team over there on repealing right to work. We will stay on this issue. I promise you that. Joey Combs, president of SEIU Michigan. That's a local 517M. Website is SEIU517M.org. You take care and stay in touch, okay? Thank you. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we'll check in with the operating engineers in Maryland and the electrical workers. That would be Local 725 in the state of Indiana. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.